This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wondry people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company's Founder Series. I am Maddie Guest and as always, I am in some very good company with my co-host, Sophie Dicker. Hello, Soph, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, Mads. I am actually so happy because we just had a conversation with the most incredible Michelle Battersby. She's someone we've wanted to have on the podcast literally since we started. Did you have her on your vision board, Soph? For those who are <laughs> more new to Your Ingle Company, Soph is super into her vision boards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if she was ever on it, but like she should have been. Cause she's she just... definitely should have been. She was on my metaphorical one. Yeah, your one that's like in your mind. <laughs> in my notes, in my iPhone. <laughs> well, we've spoken to eight incredible founders in this series so far, Michelle being the eighth. But at Vogue Australia's Vogue Code Summit on June 24, there's going to be another 25 Australian and international female leaders that are going to be speaking. And it's such a cool theme too. It's change for good, which is all about delving into the future of technology and its impacts on on society, environmental innovation, change makers in regional Australia, and even space exploration. I'm actually so excited for that one. Tickets are limited though, so don't miss your chance to be there. All you have to do is visit vogue.com.au forward slash codes and use our code YIGC and you'll get 20% off your all access pass. Can't wait to see you there. But it's fitting that they're actually sponsoring us today because Michelle founded Sunroom and this is definitely an episode that embodies change for good. So if it certainly does, let's get into today's episode. Michelle, what is your drink of choice? I feel like I interpret that question as what is my alcoholic drink of choice, but I'll yes, just give you anyway. a standard <laughs> standard drink. It would be a matcha with oat milk. If I'm drinking, it would be an amaretto sour. Oh, good one. Haven't really got into my sours, actually. Oh, they're great. What is your favourite book and why? I recently read Verity by Colleen Hoover and I think I'm still scarred (laughs) from it. So in terms of a fiction book, it's just so high intensity and so gripping. I, I finished it in a day, so I couldn't recommend that one more if you're after a fiction. But non-fiction, it's probably Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which is the story of Nike, which I just think is an incredible brand. And yeah, it just documents the journey really well. I am a big fan of that book, but I feel like Colin Hoover is really having a moment at the moment. I haven't read any of her books, but Everyone seems to be talking about them. I think she blew up on TikTok Mm. and I do feel like she's a bit too (laughs) culty for some people. 
Yeah, mm. or they don't want to jump on the trend, but I would say, you know, you're not too good <laughs> for a Colleen Hoover <laughs> book and you should read Verity. I'm going to send this to one of my best friends. I'm a part of a book club with her and she refuses to read any Colleen Hoover and I'm always like, hey, guys, what about <laughs> this one? They're like, good. no. <laughs> yeah, no so one's about I've got it. some people like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you have like an Instagram or TikTok or any kind of social media account that you just absolutely love and feel like should be shared? I do love a creator called Coco Moco. Have you come across her? No. She's pretty big in the US. I feel like her following has blown up. She's probably got around a million followers. She works in social media and she does a lot of predictions around the creator space, social media, brand, marketing. And she's, yeah, she's just really engaging and knowledgeable. Can always use a bit of help with our social media <laughs> yeah, intel. So we'll have to give that one a follow. Michelle, I am very keen to hear what do you say when someone asks you what you do? And I guess second follow-up question to that is how would you describe Sunroom in your own words? I probably would say I have a tech startup and just try to end the conversation <laughs> there and leave it, leave it broad. No follow-ups, please. Uh, but then most people say, what's it do? And I say, I would describe Sunroom as a cross between Instagram and OnlyFans. It's essentially Instagram, but with a paywall and creators set their own price or it's OnlyFans without the porn. So it's not as hardcore as OnlyFans, but it is still a little bit more liberal than Instagram and TikTok. We don't censor women's breasts and we allow more conversation and education around pleasure, intimacy, sex, childbirth, ability, all the topics that Instagram and TikTok often unfairly censor. It's how I would wrap it up. Yeah. I feel like you describe it really well, like um, through your own social media channels and on TikTok. It's a really, I guess, incredible kind of journey that you're going on and a really cool idea that you're putting out there. Do you think that there is like something from your early days or early parts of your career that really defined how you got to the position you're in at the moment? Potentially curiosity. I think that I have not been afraid to try lots of different things. I didn't shy away from the fact that I did have a pretty corporate job working in banking, but I knew deep down I wasn't really passionate about it. And so I let myself explore what else was out there. And I think finding what you're passionate about for, for a lot of people is a process of elimination. A lot of us aren't, you know, born and really drawn to something. Mm. I envy people that have that immediate passion, like athletes, for example, people that are just born very good at something and then they're able to go and, you know, make a living out of it. I didn't really have that. So I tried a lot of things and found my way into tech startups, which led me to what? I am now, I now know I'm passionate about, which is building products that I guess better the lives of women. But I think probably more recently, I worked out that for me, I feel like I'm thriving if I'm able to work on something which is a little bit controversial or maybe challenges people's belief system, or I'm able to shift people's perspective and 
I didn't realize that's what we were doing at Bumble at the time. And that's what was making me so passionate at Bumble was, you know, almost arguing with a guy in the bar about (laughs) why women should be able to make the first move. I, I've only just recently realized that that's like what I need to be doing to feel great. But this is now a very long, long-winded answer. So I guess it's being curious and probably a bit competitive. <laughs> it's interesting that you draw those comparisons to Bumble because I was recently listening to the Diary of a CEO episode with Whitney and I felt like there were so many comparisons between her story and then what you're going through at the moment with Sunroom. I'm interested to understand what do you think, you know, I feel like so many people would look at what you guys are doing with Sunroom and really resonate with the mission and would think of it as something that, you know, they would love to do as well. But what do you think it is that actually made you sort of take the step or what do you think it was that made you actually really be like, I want to be the one to change this? It was definitely creators. Like I owe a lot to the early creators that I spoke to when I was deciding if I was going to partner up with my now co-founder and if this was a really worthy space to be exploring. Uh, When this all first happened, Lucy, my co-founder, came to me with this idea of developing something potentially in the only fan space or a platform where creators could make more money. And I was curious and I thought it sounded interesting, but I really needed to know if creators wanted that and how could I help achieve that? Did I have connections that would help? Did I have, you know, were my network interested? I felt like I had access to creators. So I started speaking to people like Chantelle Otten and Lucy Jackson and Flex Mami and these people that I'd worked with. And if they hadn't have been so like open and gracious with their knowledge and experience and then said, yeah, I would be interested in a platform in this space, it wouldn't have given me the confidence to then go after it. So, and and I think that's a natural part of developing any product. You know, are you actually building something that people want? (laughs) I think people often have ideas, but they've not asked anyone if they need that. (laughs) So yeah, I do owe a lot to those creators because they gave me the confidence to do it. That's so true about the ideas. It's like, you can have a brilliant idea pop up in your head, but then it's like, okay, who's actually, when someone asks you like, who's the target market? And you're like, everyone, like I would use it. (laughs) And then it's like, well, how many of there are there like you? Like it's such a, it is actually such a big thing when it comes to like ideation of something that you can create. And definitely speaking to people outside of your friends and family, you know, even though I had relationships with these creators, it's not like they're my best friends. We've always just had a professional, professional environment. They could definitely be honest and open with me. I think a lot of people have been told by, yeah, their immediate circle that it's great, but are those the people that are going to be honest with you? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Sounds great, sweetie. (laughs) That's what my mum says. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Ask a few other people aside from your (laughs) mum. So it sounds like, you know, you had a a string of opportunities. Obviously you had um, your time at Bumble and then you were approached by your now co-founder Lucy um, for this idea of Sunroom. When she came to you with this idea, what was going through your mind? And I guess what let you, what made you take that step across and actually start the business? It's so interesting to think back to that period because it was 2020. We, I was living in Melbourne at the time. I was in lockdown. I'd been in lockdown for months mm. and I was 
definitely in a pretty dark space at that time. You know, I felt pretty disconnected from my friends and family. I'd moved from Sydney to Melbourne to work at Kick and then gone into lockdown and nothing really went the way I thought it was going to go. And that got my head spinning a little bit. So I'm actually quite grateful for lockdown in that sense, because I think for many people, it was the first time you sat still for a while and you could do a lot of reflecting. And I felt like I just got off the biggest high of my life with Bumble and then the world completely changed. And I had felt for probably a couple of years that I could do my own thing, but I didn't feel like my skill set was developed enough to, you know, take myself out of an environment where I'd have a lot of support around me. So I was trying to, I guess, get that clarity and confidence within myself before I then went and did my own thing. Uh, And it was when I was having all those thoughts that Lucy's email landed in my inbox. Transparently, I had already started speaking to other people in my network about certain things. I'd started thinking about what I could do solo. I'd started considering consulting for a range of brands, but that felt quite isolating. And so I was, again, this process of elimination, I was considering things and then ruling them out. And by chance, a stroke of luck, this email landed in my inbox from Lucy and she is Australian, but she'd been living in New York for six or seven years. She designed Hinge. Like she literally Mm -hmm. came up with the vertical scrolling feed, all of the prompts, so many features that honestly revolutionized and were like very innovative in the dating app space. Most apps were the swipe left, swipe right. Hinge was very different. So when I saw her email come up and then I had a bit of a stalk, at first I thought, I just need to speak to this woman. I didn't even know another Australian was involved in one of these big dating apps from an early stage. It would be cool to just get to know her. And again, it's very similar to how it felt when I first got connected to Whitney. Mm. I'm very big on intuition, gut, how it feels, if it feels like an opportunity that is too big to pass down. Like some opportunities aren't going to come your way twice. So you should probably just explore them. And that's how this felt. Like how many times in my life is someone pretty similar to me, but with like a complimentary skill set from another big dating app going to approach me with an idea that does make sense and want to partner with me. So yeah, it wasn't a, as it wasn't as fast a decision as when I left banking to join Bumble because when I left banking to join Bumble, I literally had nothing to lose. (laughs) I was 20, 25, hated my job. But this time around, I, I often say like, you don't have much to lose, but I think this time around, it was more like managing my pride, managing my ego. It just, again, like felt too good to to not do. And I was already like angling down that road anyway. Mm. So yeah, I just started speaking to people, speaking to those creators, thinking about the idea more and more. And it got to a point where it was just occupying my brain. And that was enough of a sign for me to just commit to it and then like really dig into what this 
brand and product was going to be and who it was going to serve. And what made you guys want, was LA always on the cards? Was that something that sort of Lucy suggested? Why the decision to sort of set yourself up in LA? So when I had this first call with Lucy, I remember her saying, do you have any ties to (laughs) Australia? Is there anything holding you in Australia? And it did feel like divine timing and that the universe was just like dropping all these things in front of me at the one time. Like I felt like the universe was literally kicking me in the back. Like <laughs> get me you out of are Melbourne. Do I this. need to leave Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, it was just pushing me. Something was pushing me very hard to go and do this. And when I had that call with Lucy, my boyfriend had actually already left Melbourne and then had a work contract in LA for two years. So I was already Mm -hmm. alone in Melbourne, you know, Mm. (laughs) isolated AF. (laughs) And she said, yeah, do you have any, do you have anything tying you to Australia? And I definitely did not. And she said, if we're going to do this, I think it needs to be done in LA. And that just seemed wild to me because my boyfriend was already going to live and work in LA and I was preparing to do another couple of years long distance. Sorry, I'm just interrupting for a second. Is it just to tell me that you and I have perfect chemistry? (laughs) No, it's to take a break. (laughs) Oh, fair. (laughs) We haven't matched on Bumble, have we? (laughs) But coming up, Michelle is going to be talking about the type of person that, as a founder, she would never hire. And it's actually kind of surprising. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, it is an interesting point that you do raise because it's kind of like, I guess you could draw like a parallel to like when you're traveling with people, like someone could be your best friend, but you wouldn't travel well with them. So I think like when you are, if you are starting a business and you are looking for a founder or you want someone else to like be in partnership to grow something, it isn't necessarily going to be your best friend. It could be someone in your outer circles. And then as you said, you find someone that has those complementary skills because if you're at the same person, it's you know, you're only going to see things one way. Mm, Yeah. I think I would never hire a friend. I think that is walking down a very tricky road. I think just being a business owner as well, or being a leader, like even when I was working at Bumble, I had to figure that out pretty quickly. You often want to be people's friends. You want to be liked, but at the end of the day, you're also responsible and held accountable for all of the growth, spending, for every person performing in their role. And a reality of that is you're also going to have to have hard conversations. You're going to have to be able to give people feedback. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that position, you know, there needs to be mutual respect both ways and people can't feel like they've got favors or people are treated differently and things like that. So yeah, I've hired people that I've worked with before, but I've never um, I've never hired a friend and I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't make my own life hard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by doing that. 
I would love to touch on your time at Bumble because you sort of went from your role, which was in internal HR at an investment bank, to launching the Bumble brand in Australia. And when you joined Bumble, it was at a time where, you know, it wasn't the big brand that everyone knows today. It was actually, you know, something that not not that all that many people had heard of. Now it is, you know, well recognized for having one of the most successful marketing strategies of our, you know, generation, in my opinion. What do you think were some of your biggest learnings from this period in terms of marketing and being able to sort of create a business? I don't want to say image, but like maybe it's an image, a vibe that you have sort of taken into Sunroom. Probably the biggest like overall lesson I learned at Bumble was an exercise in branding and marketing. So Bumble really, it rose at a time when society was shifting, like gender dynamics were shifting. There was the Me Too movement. There was Believe Women. Women were reclaiming their voices. Women wanted to be in the driving seat. Women did want to make the first move. So the Bumble brand and product kind of collided with this perfect moment in time and it aimed to solve like real world problems and problems that women were facing. And so that just meant it resonated with a whole generation of women and everyone could really believe in what it stood for and wanted to back it. So I think Like that's something that we've taken into Sunroom as well. Like there's a shift occurring with creators wanting to be paid for their time and energy. There's also a shift occurring when it comes to sex positivity. So that means spaces need to exist that tie into those societal shifts. So that's like, that's the only way you can create a brand is if it's like on the back or like on the tail end of some of one of these, on the forefront, sorry, one of these societal shifts because Bumble could like own that moment. So that's probably the biggest thing. But in terms of things that I feel like anyone could go and do, so there's this story at Bumble. I don't know if I've ever spoken about this. There's this story at Bumble that is kind of famous. And if you were one of the early employees, you know this story, you know the name, you know that this is the game. So basically when Bumble first launched, Whitney and the first three people that she hired were in the app. They were matching with all these men, asking them, how have you heard about Bumble? All coming back with this name. So let's just say Caroline. Who the hell is Caroline? Is this a website? Is this, you know, like what, where is this coming from? Why are all these guys saying Caroline? And they did some digging and essentially it was just an everyday girl on campus at college, pretty popular. And as soon as all the guys heard that Caroline was on the app, they flocked. So the goal was for me to go and find all the Carolines. So this was like the first thing I was ever told is you need to go and find these Carolines and you need to get them to a Bumble event. I thought I can go do that. You know, I've grown up in Sydney. I probably don't know these Carolines directly, but I know people who know them. And I think I could invite them to this party and I could ask them to bring their friends. And it was this approach of big fish, little pond. Like Caroline is not a big influencer. She doesn't have hundreds and thousands of followers. She is not a celebrity, but she is the person who is going to use the app and she has influence 
in her circle of friends. And like, that is how you get people to use a product. And I think people often go for like the big influencers too soon and the big celebrities too soon, but they're not the ones who are actually going to then use the product and be an evangelist for it. But these Carolines, they will. And so that's how we like really just catapulted growth in every is we just found these everyday women who would be our core user who were influential amongst their friends and partnered up with them, invited them to events that they ordinarily wouldn't get invited to. So that meant they would share, they would post, they would feel special. And it's quite easy to replicate that model. And that is something that I consistently remind myself of at Sunroom because I think you can get a little bit too hung up on who is the big name that you're bringing onto this product. And sometimes you can even get them when it's too soon and your product actually can't accommodate that person and their expectations. But that audience does not need to be huge. So there are creators on Sunroom who have literally 2000 Instagram followers and they make 3000 US a month on Sunroom. And like, like that's cool that there is potential for people who just have a highly engaged audience to actually make money off it. Of course, there are others that have a hundred thousand followers that make up to 20,000 US a month. And then it kind of goes from there. One of the things I've noticed about Sunroom is the creator also needs, they need to be the kind of person who actually wants to engage with their audience, wants to spend time in the DMs, wants to build one-to-one connections with their super fans. And a lot of the time that isn't going to be the creator with 10 million followers. They don't have the time. They're already making 30 grand off one post. They might not grind on a subscription platform like more of the micros and and mid-level creators. So at the moment, our sweet spot is anyone from 2,000 followers to about 2 million. It's a big range. (laughs) What has been one of the highlights of your Sunroom journey so far and have there been any lowlights that come to mind? (laughs) There's a highlight and a lowlight every every day. day. (laughs) Yeah, even today, it's actually our highest revenue day ever today which is pretty exciting that's amazing yeah so that's obviously a high but you know even two weeks ago we had our tiktok permanently banned apple rejected us in the app store there were so many things going on that i stopped monitoring our uh, sales email addresses they all got blocked for spam sometimes it can feel just like blow after blow but you know deep down that you will always find a way through it and there is always a solution. But it's just so strange that two weeks ago you can think, are we going to have a product? Are we going to have to change things, you know, so that Apple are into us again and then (laughs) it always ends up being resolved and two two weeks later you can have your biggest revenue day. It's just... It's, it's a constant roller coaster. Sometimes I can have calls with huge creators and think, yes, we're going to get this one. This is going to change everything. And then they go on holiday and you have to wait another month. <laughs> it's just like, it's a revolt. It's I actually, you guys use that phrase, it's for the plot or it's all for the plot. And since I first saw 
you put this on social media. I, I reckon I've thought about it once a day. It, honestly, <laughs> you have to go through all of the hard times because it adds to your story so much. And genuinely, I feel like without all these hurdles and roadblocks and setbacks, I don't think I would have anything to talk about. And I feel like now, just even looking back on my time at Bumble, I used to get interviewed all the time. And I think, what was I talking about? I hadn't really (laughs) experienced, I really hadn't experienced that much now that I'm here and have been through so many other things. So yeah, you, you need the setbacks. They honestly make it they make it worthwhile and they make the successes so much sweeter. And if it was a smooth ride, you wouldn't have any stories. You wouldn't have any anecdotes. You wouldn't have ways to help other people. So yeah, there are a lot, but I'm appreciative for them. We want to get into the money side of business, which we're a money podcast. We talk about investing. So we're obviously talking about investing in businesses and growing your own business, but we still feel like the money side of starting a business is a little bit taboo, a little bit secretive. People don't talk about it very openly. I know that you talk about it quite openly through your social media channels, your personal ones. But for you, you know, moving countries and starting a new business, it's not a cheap exercise. Can you like talk us through how you initially funded the launch of Sunroom? Yeah. So I do think it helps if you've had solid salaries in the past, just to call it what it is, I suppose. So it helps if you have savings and a bit of a safety net behind you. That obviously means you can take more risks. But we were quite lucky with Sunroom. From the moment we came up with this and landed on the concept, we always knew we would raise money. So I probably only had a period of about three months where I wasn't being paid. And that was the period between, you know, kick and then raising money. So still just ideating, researching, and then beginning to reach out to investors. We were definitely at an advantage when it came to raising money. Well, not an advantage, but it it helps if you have worked at other big tech startups. It helps if you can show you've driven results before, because if you're raising money before you have a product, which is what we did, then investors are, it's basically if they believe in you and your ability. So having some experience and a bit of proof there helps. And of course, having a solid idea and having done research really helps. So we raised money immediately, which meant that we could pay ourselves. So as soon as we got that money in the bank, it was pretty fast, but we put ourselves on, you know, founder salaries, which at the time were, it was 55,000 US, which is a very big decline, but you have so much to gain being the founder, you know, you obviously are the ones with the most equity. There's upside there. So you need to take the risk. And I also think about it like to employ, you know, Lucy and I at another company that would cost hundreds and thousands. So it's like, we're kind of giving ourselves to the company for, you know, a very cheap amount that we can essentially just survive on. But it also makes you hungry. Like I would want to work for a founder paying themselves nothing and has no choice, but to make it work. Like that is a good setup. I think you recently posted on social media about how, uh, you feel like you're sort of and apologies if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you're sort of in this time or stage of your life where 
people are doing really big things and they're starting to, you know, become really quite senior in different positions in their career. And then you sort of feel like you're in a lot of, in a really uncertain period, put it that way. How do you sort of deal with, I guess, maybe the financial uncertainty, but just the uncertainty sort of more generally on a day-to-day? Like you said, there are ups and downs every single day. How are you managing that? It is tough. I think it's like an ego thing though. You know, at first when I was back on 55,000, I was thinking, oh my God, I made more than this when I was 22 working at a bank. And now I won't be able to save money anymore. If I want to go on holidays or buy myself nice things, it's going to all have to come out of my savings. Dipping into your savings for two years doesn't feel great. There are moments when I think, oh God, like what does this look like at the end for me if it doesn't work? But then I very quickly bring myself back to reality. Like I am being exposed to like such incredible things at the moment. I still have, you know, like all these investors from Silicon Valley who have been founders who are believing in what we're doing. You know, our product is working. There's so much science. There's so many signs of hope and like magic and everything. And at the end of the day, you know, even if it wasn't to survive, uh, I feel like I could take all of my skills and then I could go consult and I could charge people an arm and a leg and I actually would know how to help them through certain things. Like there's always a way to make a dollar. So it doesn't really scare me that much. It's more like I'd prefer that road not to, I'd prefer not to go down that road. You know, I'd prefer to go Mm. down the other road where it does become everything I think it could be. But that is just the risk that you run when you have a business. And I think so many people, it's like you normally just hear of the success at the end. You Mm. don't hear of all the hardships along the way, or you don't hear of all the businesses that failed before the one that worked. But in saying that, like in my core, I believe in this far more than I fear it. Yeah. You know? I think it's a great point because what is, you know, why do you have, why do, why do we try and build up savings and why do we, you know, care about how much money we earn if not to be able to use it to live the life that we want to live? Like that's, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things that society tells us that we should be doing in terms of, I mean, especially in Australia, you you get to a certain age, you want to buy a house and things like that. But actually, you know, Soph and I often talk about with the podcast in terms of like, what are our goals with money? Why do we want to actually build wealth? And it's to have the freedom to do what you want to do, which is exactly what you're doing now. Yeah. And there are so many different ways to build wealth. You know, like I think having a having a startup in the tech space that has potential like that you know the upside of that is pretty large if it works but you do have to take risks before you can get there and I think while I'm not currently making financial gains I am like learning so much and that's that's worth a lot as well yeah, what you're not being paid in monetary value, you're being paid in opportunity and networking and experience. Yeah. One of the ways you can make money is through your own app and you do do that. <laughs> can you tell yeah. us about your experience of creating content and being paid for it through your own creation? And I guess like what kind of content can people be creating on Sunroom? For both Lucy and I, like making money through Sunroom 
does give us a bit of breathing room. So that's been amazing and it's so rewarding when you do see those dollars coming in. So I, I make around like two-ish grand a month on my own Sunroom account. Yeah, I share stories around Sunroom, the ups and downs. I do a career confession series. I do a little lesson series. I share all the books I'm reading ahead of time. And then I also mentor mainly women through the app and offer career advice in a voice note and things like that. So there's a lot of people doing similar things. There's other people that are posting all the content that they can't post on Instagram and TikTok. So there's a lot of sex educators and people that speak about pleasure and intimacy. They're so used to censoring themselves on Instagram or TikTok, or sometimes they lose their accounts entirely. So Sunroom uh, is a space where they can be a little bit more detailed and not have to fear having posts removed or being deplatformed and things like Mm. that. And then there's a lot of creators who want to be a bit more sensual, but it's like, if you're going to post a thirst trap, get paid for it. Every time I see a big creator post a super hot photo, I'm thinking, what are you doing? Do you know you can make thousands of dollars off this on Sunroom? It kind of blows my mind. So there are creators that do post just all their bikini pics, all their lingerie pics, and they don't show any more skin than that. Like they're always in the bikini, they're always in the lingerie and they make tens of thousands a month. So yeah, love to say that. You touched before about your experience sort of being in and out of the app store and Apple's guidelines around female bodies, same with Instagram. And I think there is a huge sentiment, at least in sort of the society that Soph and I are in more broadly to try and change these norms. Like I definitely feel quite strongly that I'm like, I don't get it. What's the problem? Why can't these things be on Instagram or in the app store? In your opinion, and I guess sort of through your experience Sunroom, are there any things that we can be doing day to day in our lives to try and just shift these perspectives that exist in society? Yeah, this is such a good thing to to speak about. I think just to clarify, so when basically every time you push an update to your app, maybe you fix a bug, maybe you launch a new feature, you go through a review process. So you're never removed from the app store. It's just that you can't change your app. So every time someone different picks up your app, which is very frustrating because there is obviously a bit of subjectiveness in that. And there's people that have never seen your app before. And then they make a split second decision and they reject you because maybe they don't like a a line of copy. Um, Maybe they've seen an image that they don't like. Maybe you don't have a link in the right place. There's, There's a lot of different things. So it basically just completely stalls your progress and you can't fix bugs. You can't push new features. So that's like where a lot of the frustration comes from. And like we went a year without having any issues. And then all of a sudden it was just like reject, reject, reject. And they actually include images that they have a problem with. And that is where your frustration just like your blood boils because you look at these images and if a man was in them, the conversation would not be occurring. Mm. But it actually really dri- like drives us because it, it proves exactly why we exist and how unfairly predominantly women and non-binary people are treated on a lot of platforms just because moderation isn't geared in their favour and like context is not taken into consideration. But 
a lot of platforms, like all of us are at the mercy of big tech. It's, it's Apple, it's Meta. I do think it's Apple that has most of the control, which does make it, make it hard, but they also are willing to, to listen. So you can kind of put your case forward and things like that. I, I don't think Apple or Meta will change unless it is like society kind of demanding these changes to occur. I think for society and like for perspectives to change as individuals, we do need to challenge our long standing beliefs. Like even myself, when we first started exploring this space, I was a bit judgy towards OnlyFans. I thought, oh, like what goes on OnlyFans? Is it a bit of a last resort? Like I'm being very honest right now, is it maybe a bit tacky? Like these are the things that I felt. And after I began exploring the space and speaking to creators, I realized that my own views were like padded with a bit of internalized misogyny. And like, it was kind of society that was making me look at OnlyFans as a bit dirty. And it was things I was seeing in the media that were making me like judge creators on these platforms. And that really should not be the case. Like these women are, they're feeling powerful. Like they're deciding to do it. Um, they're able to make money off their beauty. Like why as a society do we have such a problem with Mm -hmm. that? So I think like whenever you feel judgment towards creators, what they're posting, what they're charging, where they're asking you to go, I think you should be asking yourself, why do you feel a certain kind of way about that? Why does it affect you? Where is that coming from? Does it really matter? Is it your actual belief or is it that you've kind of been influenced by other things out there? So yeah, I would just challenge people to challenge where their own beliefs are coming from and why they exist. You know, the way that we have been brought up, you know, it's, it's, I think society is changing a lot now. And I even see it in say my like younger sister's view of the world, but the way we have been brought up is to think about these things in a certain way, but opening the conversation a little bit more every day and having these kind of conversations, like just what you said is even open my eyes to think, okay, think about it differently. Like actually understand that they're making money through a role, a different role. It's not a traditional role, but they're making money. So like, let everyone be. Let everyone yeah. be. Yeah. Even the word influencer became such a dirty word. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, you're an influencer. You're just an influencer. You know, you just wear bikinis on the beach. Like what you do is less than. What are your skills? The dirtiness of that term influencer is honestly just a way to degrade predominantly women and make them feel like they're not worthy of their follower base or to be able to make money off a post. Like why does that judgment exist? And some creators want to do brand deals. Some creators don't want to do brand deals. Some creators don't want to have to work with any brand. They want to retain their authenticity. And so if they can be paid by their top fans, they don't need brands. That's great. It's just giving people with a platform another option and another way to yeah, make a living. Mm, I mean, yeah, when I saw like a couple of influencers over Christmas get sent like big Charlotte Tilbury boxes, I was like, sign me up. <laughs> I will sell my soul. I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. I will do anything. <laughs> yeah. People say that, you know, if they, if you knew everything that you know right now, you probably wouldn't have started a business because it's just, you know, way too much. But if you could have known one thing, what would it have been? Uh, nothing will go to plan. <laughs> I think the, the thing that I constantly come back to is 
nothing happens as you think it will, but it all happens as it should. Like I thought we would launch so much sooner. We didn't. And it ended up working out perfectly. I thought we would be for certain kinds of creators. And then these other creators came to the platform and that's exactly how it should have been. Uh, I just think all like the setbacks and challenges, they all do end up making sense. And I feel like the timing just ends up being right. So yeah, I just would be prepared and open to it not playing out how you think it should. So like lose your expectations a little bit and just allow it to, yeah, play out as it should. Roll with the punches. I would like you to imagine that we are sitting here in 10 years time saying that this has been a really successful 10 years for Sunroom. Can you paint us a picture? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it would be creators like making their sole living on Sunroom. So creators being able to leave the jobs that they're not loving or to not have to take brand deals that they don't align with and Sunroom is actually where they're, yeah, making a living, earning their whole income and being able to live great lives off the back of that. I've not really thought about, you know, the numbers and and things like that. It just feels there are so many more things to do before then. But I think 100%, like the thing that keeps us going and keeps us motivated is hearing how Sunroom is positively impacting the creators and like that's the goal of this so I would just want to see that tenfold and it become you know a household name and a part of you know a creator's journey I've got the audience I do the brand deals I've got merch I'm on Sunroom imagine Sunroom the name Sunroom being as big as TikTok or Instagram that would be pretty cool or sunroom the verb like when yeah, you say to honestly. uber to, to sunroom <laughs> yeah like what are you posting on sunroom this week <laughs> seriously yeah just to insert it to insert itself in pop culture would be a bar. or you know beyonce sung about only fans could could it appear in a song rihanna come on yeah. rihanna at the super bowl <laughs> in a song that's yeah, when you'll know that. you've really made it <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, Michelle, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today about your journey founding Sunroom. For anyone that wants to find anything about you or the app, where should they be heading? Yeah, so they could just find me on Instagram or TikTok. Same with Sunroom. Instagram, TikTok or go to our website, which is sunroom.so. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we cannot wait to continue watching your journey and see all the amazing things that you guys do with the company. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. As always, it's such a fulfilling chat, particularly when this is so focused on like the female aspect because their app does really focus on those who identify as female. It's really fulfilling to see that there's like this kind of way that we can build women up, way to mm. make money, but also way to express what you're passionate about. I think that's so special. Completely agree. If you enjoyed today's episode, would love for you to share it with a friend, with your family, with your colleague, whoever you like. And also join us on socials. We are at YIGC Podcast, both on Instagram and TikTok. And, of course, our wonderful Facebook group, YIGC Investing Podcast Discussion Group. Otherwise, we will catch you next week. Bye.
You have been listening to an Equity Mates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 5406. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.